0: Welcome to the Impact Innovation Podcast, the show where we sit down with entrepreneurs from different pockets of the world, and they share with us what they're doing to make a difference. I'm James Digby, and alongside me, our co-host for Season 1, Michael Waits, we will be bringing you deep dives and a spotlight into what's happening on the ground in the world of impact innovation in Southeast Asia. The sessions will be taking wild detours, whilst giving insights into how to build and scale an impactful business that has the ability to change the lives of the next 3 billion. In this first episode, we sat down with Dependra KC, where he shares his journey of creating a youth organization with five unpaid friends into a 10-person, full-time team that distributes around half a million dollars and working with over 5,000 Nepalese children annually, really showing what can be done if you have the belief and passion to make a difference in the world, even if it's in your corner of the world. It's a great representation of our upcoming season, and we hope you enjoy the format. Let's get on with the show.
1: Hey, it's Michael Waits. How are you doing today?
2: I'm good. How are you, Michael?
1: I am super. Do you want to give the audience a little bit of a personal introduction just for context?
2: Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I'm Dipendra and uh, I'm originally from Nepal, but I've been in Thailand for the past uh, four or five years. Uh, I work as a lecturer at uh, Thammasat University, um, apart from teaching uh, on on a day-to-day basis. I position as the assistant dean for academic affairs and student affairs at the school of global studies Uh, and not only that I am also a PhD student at uh, NIDA uh, where I'm writing my dissertation so so you
1: you said you've been in Thailand for about five years, coming from Nepal, right? Why did you come to Thailand to do your studies as opposed to going to any other place in the world?
2: Uh, there's an interesting story. Uh, so right uh, right before coming to Thailand, I was actually at University of Washington in Seattle. Interesting. Um, uh, so I was there for a month long fellowship that was funded by state department. And uh, when I was returning back to Nepal, I was thinking that I would definitely go back to a grad school in the U.S. Uh, but once I went back to Nepal and I had a chat in my family that I wanted to go to U.S., but, and that was the same time when, uh, so I used to run a youth led organization in Nepal during that time. And my term was about to come to an end. So I had one week, uh, one week of time. Uh, or I was running on my last uh, week as the president in the organization. So, you know, I thought if I go to a grad school in the U.S., I would have to prepare for GRE, give English language taste, and so on. Uh, So I had all, and I thought, and Thai, you know, honestly to tell you, Thai universities were the first universities to give me admission. That's why I landed in Thailand.
1: So you were running your own student organization. Is this the NGO that you were running?
2: Uh, yeah, so it is. It is the same youth-led organization.
1: Can you tell me a little bit more about the purpose of that organization and what it was actually doing?
2: Um, yeah, so um, we started this as a platform for young people. So uh, when I when I along with my friends started this organization, I was really young. I was just completing my high school. Um, so in that sense, uh, everywhere you look for opportunities, people would ask for experience. So we decided why not we create our own organization and create a platform for people like ourselves so that they can bring in their ideas and uh, ex- experiment uh, their ideas and and get a team around that. So I think that's how we started initially when we started this organization. Uh, however, as time moved, I think we we jumped into some broader uh, uh, we we picked up on a few other uh, issues, especially uh, relating to young people and their participation in uh, policy making process. So uh, you know, over the probably next three four years in my time in that organization, I worked ext- extensively around uh, those areas, especially having meaningful participation of young people in the policymaking level in the country.
1: In the country, what was the what was the growth like for that organization itself? In other words, you say it started amongst friends, but towards the end when you were leaving. How many people did it have in it, and what was its impact?
2: Um, I think uh, you know when we started, uh, we definitely started with pipe people, and and that was all, and none of wow. we, uh, none of us uh, were really um, full time working in that organization. There were only actually two of my friends who were actually working in the organization full time. Um, again, that was uh, supporting themselves. Organization was not supporting them. So there was a point, uh, you know, after a year and a half when we were deciding to close down this organization because uh, it was financially uh, kind of stressful for us because we we had been, you know, instead of organizing support us to survive, we were helping the organization to survive for the first uh, year and a half so in that sense that's how we started really but by the time i was leaving i think um, you know i uh, we were in terms of number of people who are working there full time we had a little over 10 staffs uh, that were working full time and uh, we had a big community I mean, people affiliated with the organization probably uh, was a little more than 100 in terms of uh, members active members and people who would really engage with the organization but in terms of yearly reach, how many people we were, uh, how many young people we were reaching out every year uh, through our programs, it was uh, over 5,000 every year. So that that was more or less uh, the growth of the organization uh, when we were living. And uh, financially, if financial uh, matrices are are a measure to uh, um, gauge how well organization uh, grew, I think. We started with negative budget uh, for the first year and a half. We were in negative budget, uh, but but by the time I was leaving, uh, I, I think uh, our annual turnover was getting a little over uh, 400000 $500,000 a year.
1: Of what, just income into the organization, or was that just capital that you raised every year so that you could run that organization?
2: Uh, um, the capital that we raised is so that we can run the organization. Four
1: hundred. So you went from basically being in a negative capital perspective to having 400000 or $500,000 of capital raised every year. That's, uh, wildly, that's each, wildly impressive. And all that money came internally from inside the country?
2: Uh, interestingly most of the funding was from outside the country
1: okay that's even more interesting so nepal we talked about this offline a little bit is a very interesting country right and i think yeah. if i asked most people in the world what the population was i don't think that they would know it's not a small country 29 million people or 30 million people it's not small there are a lot of people living yeah, yeah. in nepal but this is interesting so you created essentially an ngo a non-government organization it's a non-profit you grew it from zero to 100 people, impacting the lives of 5,000 people or more a year, and then also raised every year about 400000 or $500,000 a year to do that. That's very impressive, I think.
2: Uh, yeah, you know, let me tell you, when people think of Nepal, people have uh, Mount Everest and all the mountains in their head. And, you know, a lot of time I, I, I joke around with people saying, like, see, Nepal not only has, you know, mountains... We also have a mountain of NGOs and foreign aid in the country. So that's, uh, you know, the, you know, I, I, I often say that in terms of if you look at uh, how uh, these non-governmental organizations and foreign aid has uh, come into the country over the just past 10 years, uh, it's, it's uh, amazingly surprising. Uh, and, and the number of uh, NGOs per you know, if you look at NGOs per capita, um, it's, it's one of the highest in South Asia, actually.
1: I didn't realize that. So what is your experience? And what did you learn basically from building that organization from nothing with a couple of friends to something that is self sustaining? Um, And also about the aid, aid itself is this very specific program, right? The AID? Was that American International Development? Do I have that right? And what is what did you learn about using that as an organization as well? If you interacted with them a lot?
2: You know, I think, you know, uh, it's it's very interesting question uh, in terms of what I learned. Probably, you know, before this organization, I knew nothing. Uh, So what I really think I learned is that everything that I have learned today mostly comes from uh, my time in the organization in terms of management, leadership, uh, even accounting, coding, and and anything, you know, we, we had to build our own website from scratch that means i had to learn to do that myself within that first year so that we don't have to pay anything so these are just some anecdotal <laughs> experience of what i learned being in the organization i would say that uh, virtually everything all the professional skills that i have gathered uh, they have some foundation uh, in the organization and most of these were self acquired i think i i mean i was able to acquire all these skills when i was uh, still running the organization so when we started the organization i was not leading the organization directly so i i came into the leadership position of the organization only since uh, 2012 so for the first 3 years uh, i was one of the leaders in the organization but again not leading the day to day operation um, in, in that sense so i was i was still um, you know part of the founding co-founding team i would still work very actively uh, involved in fundraising so my first 3 years were actually my my title called me treasurer uh, so i was a i was a person who would manage accounts of a company that that had no money so that's how <laughs> i started uh, and then uh, eventually i developed myself into that position as someone who would raise money in that organization and manage that money so that's how um, you know my first 3 years went on so i think my first 3 years were uh, really Uh, looking into the financial aspect of the organization and uh, looking more around, uh, you know, building policies uh, to run the organization, human resource um, uh, guidelines for the organization. So, it was more of internally managing funds and people in the organization. Mm, And uh, by that time, I think, you know, these were my first three years, but I think uh, later two years were uh, directly on the leadership position of the organization as the president of the board and also leading the day-to-day operation of the organization. And I think this was the period of time probably where I learned most. Uh, I was the youngest in the. Um, I was one of the youngest to be uh, the organizational president, so I had much more senior people in my board and also plus people who were working. So I had this uh, challenge of man, you know, working with people who had more experience than me, and and so on. So I think I I, I developed quite a lot of skills. Uh, in 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 the later two years uh, in the organization
1: what, what just so i know what's the name of the this ngo that you founded
2: oh it is called UWA, yuwa Y-U-W-A. Uh, so yuwa basically is a nepali word meaning youth so it's a generic word um, a lot of time people actually say you know how come we were able to register this generic name for the organization so <laughs> you, you you'll you. find you'll find another 40 organizations that will have some uh, prefix or suffix uh, in front of that word in Nepal right now though
1: and just before we switch topics what is the impact right so if you have 5000 people interacting every year with this you've raised some money what are you trying to accomplish it gives to teach students or to teach young people the youth the are? what are you trying to teach them
2: uh so As I said at the beginning, uh, we started this organization as a platform for young people to come and experiment with their ideas. So one of the things that we try to uh, stick, um, we are still, uh, you know, I think the organization still does, is one of the core uh, mission of the organization is to really be that uh, platform where young people can really come up with their ideas, and we can uh, we can grow uh, with uh, those ideas. Uh, eventually, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, being, being, uh, when you start as NGO, there is always this pressure of what you want to do versus, uh, you know, what you have to do for survival. Uh, so this is what we really wanted to do, and what we are doing. But again, uh, I think what we were also indirectly uh, doing at the same time is also now, you know, all the resources is not here on what you really want to do. Uh, it's 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 not really attractive for donors or or people who are interested to fund on that that part. Or at least it was not the case when we started in 2000. Uh, things are changing now. But you know, then on the other side, uh, we had to do um, or we had to engage. Uh, more at the policy level um, through the organization so if you ask me what was the impact I think you know I would say that uh, this organization started more as a platform for young people so if you look at what we call ourselves graduates right now one of the biggest impact of the organization is really that just in the past four years this is again I think I I, I should have mentioned this earlier one of the core uh, Um, You know, one of the core strength of the organization is that it's uh, organizational leaders actually change every two years. And by the time you are 29, you already need to be out of the organization. So because of that, it it is like a living, uh, you know, it's like a practical leadership school where you you come and manage an organization for two years, uh, you know, try to pursue the vision that the organization has. And after two years, you are actually out of the organization. So, because of that, uh, quite a number of what we call these days, we have quite a number of graduates of uh, of the organization who are doing really well uh, in their own field. One probably impact in terms of, uh, you know, those people who are engaged in the organization is that. But apart from that, I think we had some significant uh, uh, impact on a few other things. One is really uh, when we were working actively uh, with government of Nepal to change uh, curriculum, for, uh, curriculum especially related to sexual reproductive health rights so what was being taught in the school and what is being taught now so it is much more open to um, uh, to um, you know in in the curriculum there was never you know it was it wasn't talked about even a simple topic like mensuration or you know uh, you know the, the, the whole concept of uh, third gender and stuff like this they're not in the curriculum so if a kid was growing going through school, and if they had not studied all these things they would not know about it so I think one of uh, one of the biggest impact for us since we are a policy advocacy organization is that we are able to change some of these things we are able to work with the government of Nepal closely to change some of these things
1: that's awesome that that's really what I wanted to know I like the fact that there's a there's a policy implication to it and that, frankly that, that policy implication is progressive in the sense that you're trying to help kids learn something that wasn't necessarily part of the curriculum and now is and that that part of the curriculum that you're changing ends up being quite progressive and that's really cool. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now and you know, what inspired you really to be so involved in sort of large data sets and how you use data to teach your students what they should do with it and maybe some of the stuff that they've done that's been interesting to you in the data front as well.
2: Interestingly, um, you know, I I was always fascinated by graphics, charts and so on, and I I think I I started learning all these things because of out of my fascination uh, on this, Um, and especially I recently published a paper where I was looking at uh, the records of 47,000 NGOs of Nepal and where they go, do they really target poor people and so on. Um, So, you know, during all this uh, time and now uh, as I teach some of these skills to my students, uh, you know, it really fascinates me. Now, my students actually can, you know, what I really feel proud today is when someone talks about development, when someone talks about all these uh, issues like poverty, inequality and other things, my students now have the capacity actually to download the data set from World Bank or UNDP or this kind of organizations, uh, public cool. data sets, and they can actually, uh, you know, and these are undergraduate kids. And they can, you know, right in front of your eyes, within 10 minutes, they'll be able to tell the, um, you know, how, con- you know, countries have progressed or regressed over the years. Uh, what was the impact of political changes that happened in those countries and so on. So I think, you know, these are some of the interesting thing. You know, one thing that I remember particularly is uh, this uh, visualization that uh, some of my students created uh, earlier last week. Uh, so this is a, this is a simple dashboard of uh, the the development especially the economic growth of Bhutan and the political changes so what they did was they 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 brought two information they looked at the political history of the country and they 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 were putting it together with the economic development of the country so you know and how these two things were interacting so that was one particular case and then in another case my students were looking at the role you know how internal conflict and economic development uh, went on. So the, now I feel like, you know, um, I was only learning these skills um, and, and putting them you know, to my use. But I feel, I feel much happier now that uh, some of my students have uh, learned uh, some of these skills. I'm not sure if I answered this question. You uh, did. You, know, you, you
1: did really nicely, actually. And what other kinds of tools are they using? right? So when they create the dashboard or they're manipulating this data or when they're downloading it, what other kind of tools are they using to do this analysis?
2: Um, I am right now since um, they're only focused on descriptive um, part of the data, describing the data. So I teach them a tool called Tableau in the classroom. Uh, so it's a it's a data visual, visualization tool mostly used in the uh, Tableau. Yeah. Um, yeah. So mostly mostly used in the private sector, but I'm asking them to look at. Uh, development i'm asking them to look into inequality i'm asking them to look into uh, you know some of the social uh, elements and i did show them how they can do a sentiment analysis of uh, from twitter using uh, tableau and so on but but i think they they uh, their assignments were more on development side and much of their output looks on that that side
1: and are most of your students international students or are they thai students as well
2: Uh, Actually, most of my students are Thai. Uh, The classroom that I teach right now, is 90% Thai and 10% international. Uh, uh, But the school where I work right now, um, the newest batch has one third of its international, uh, one third third of its students is international students. Uh, But it's predominantly uh, Thai students.
1: What's the response you're getting from the kids when you're teaching them about analyzing large data sets, but also in the context of, I mean, you said Bhutan, right? So you're trying to put this in the context of governments and sort of governmental data. Do you feel like you're introducing them to things that they haven't been introduced to yet? And if you are, like, what is their response been?
2: Um, you know, one thing that uh, that my students uh, say is that I introduced them uh, this in year four. So they have six months before they graduate. They just feel that this course would go to belong to second year or first year, so that they, they, they had more time to practice this uh, when they, they, they want to know more.
1: Other, that's that's really good, though, right?
2: Yeah. So so in that sense, one one is that another thing is you know uh, I had some uh, students walk into my office. Uh, bringing their computer and they're asking me questions on how they could do that so and I asked them if this was useful uh, and I feel like uh, they say that they have they've have heard about this kind of tools they've heard so much about big data and and uh, and other things but uh, they had no idea where to begin uh, on on this kind of things so one thing that uh, that I that my students are telling me is that um Uh, this kind of um, hands-on classrooms are much uh, i mean they they value this kind of um, hands-on experience than than uh, my uh, other sessions so this is just one third of the course that i teach Um, so rest of my course is very theoretical in nature and i think my students value much more that part of the course than than the part that i'm teaching right now
1: yeah look i think there's a secular change taking place in the world particularly as it focuses on things like sustainability. You mentioned the UNDP earlier, um, and we should probably just define what that is for people. That's the United Nations Development Program, right, just so people who may not be so familiar with it understand. But also this concept of social innovation and sustainability, I think, is really coming to the fore. Do you want to explain your um, involvement there as well? And you're also creating a course around this too, no?
2: Uh, yeah, so I think um, you know this is this is uh, if we if we look at uh, you know since 2015 the whole uh, the, the governments of the world have agreed to sustainable development goals, and uh, they have committed to these uh, goals that all the countries would like to achieve uh, by 2030. Uh, but again, it's not only about achieving uh, these goals. Uh, if if we look at uh, you know what is happening to uh, around us. Um, There is a big movement for sustainability, you know, um, especially our existing uh, socio-political system um, and and, uh, our our governance so far has not been able to deliver the way they should have delivered. So there is more demand for uh, innovation in in the social sector and sustaining this.
1: Social innovation. Let's do that first. How would you define that for people that may not understand what it means?
2: Uh, well, to me, social innovation is, is, is uh, really easy. Um, so, who is at the core of whatever you are trying to do new or, so, innovation is very simple. So, let me probably start from innovation. So, innovation is, you know, uh, it's either you are building on something that already existed or you are bringing it to a new context. Maybe you didn't have that particular product or service in, in a, in that particular context. Now, what we do when we look into social innovation is, now, are we keeping our societies? Are we keeping people at the core of, uh, you know, whatever we do when we try to bring in a new product or when we try to bring uh, some intervention in a new context? So, are we keeping uh, society? Are we keeping uh, uh, people at the center or not? So, that is, that is fundamentally what, to me, what social innovation is. Uh, so, if, uh, so, so now, when we talk about corporations, Uh, Well, you know, so so far um, we have heard of so much about externalities and so on. Now uh, we have also heard about corporate social responsibility and so on. But the movement is, uh, you know, the demand from the society in general is much more. Expectation is much more from corporations, for example. Now, how do we make sure that uh, you know these concepts of people, community actually reflect on the core business of what corporations do? Uh, so that's that's one element when we look at uh, you know how corporations for example can engage in social innovation or how can they really uh, you know uh, do better on things that they're doing so so probably i'll I'll, I'll keep it to very uh, you know uh, maybe a, a, this is a this is a bit elaborative answer no
1: it's uh, no it's not I want it to be as elaborative as possible because I'm really interested in. If you're developing this coursework, what like what are the types of courses that the students will take, and will you be teaching them, or who are some of the interesting people that will be teaching them? And I presume this is at Tamasat, yeah? This Is that where that's going to be done, or no? Uh,
2: yeah, so this is going to be at Thaprasan uh, campus uh, in the city, um, right next to Grand Palace. Uh, so two of our classes are going to be – so this is a weekend-long program. So let me tell, take – talk briefly about this program so this is a uh, this is a one-year program we are our aim is to start in january uh, in 2019 and our plan is to finish it by uh, december and this is mostly targeted for working professionals uh, so this will be two full days of classroom on the weekend saturday and sunday uh, and uh, uh, most likely one weekday evening class so every um, so, so
1: every weekend for a year and let's just say like every wednesday night i, I don't know what the weekday night is but something like that
2: yeah. So cool. 6 to 9 p.m. on, on a Wednesday. So, so so this is for more for working professionals and and, and the, the program will finish within a year. Uh, and it's in the city.
1: Got it. And what's the goal of that? So there, what, what exactly will there be taught and what's the goal for that? And there, is it practical? Is it theoretical? You said you did teach some theoretical stuff, but that the practical class was really popular.
2: Yeah. Uh, so this is this is uh, this is very much a hands-on um, a course, and since we are targeting uh, working professional, one of the ambition of this course is uh, you know towards the end of the course, uh, you know a big chunk of the course is what we call independent study. Uh, or a thesis so traditional thesis would be you you had to go on the field and do a research but what we are saying this time is bring a problem from your own organization that relates to issue of sustainability or innovation uh, within the organization so we are we are keeping it very broad in the sense you know it could be innovative in the sense you you want to function better and you want innovation around your human resource system in the organization bring the issue and come to classroom um, you, you know maybe someone wants to work on social impact assessment of the business uh, so come that issue and uh, come to classroom so so this this will be this will be a non-traditional course in the sense that there will not only be one lecturer in the classroom at a time but uh, it will be really uh, it, it, it's going to be much more around uh, problem centered and and what uh, what our students really uh, want to solve we do have a few um, you know, in terms of uh, course outline and so on we have we have some foundational courses on you know like introduction to global systems for example or uh, the concept of what is disruptive innovation um, you know how do you manage uh, projects and so on so we have some uh, some uh, courses like that but much of uh, the subject matter is really um, Um, I think it's 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 very practical
1: course so it sounds like this is in a way it's like guided research right if it's for working professionals or people that already have jobs they come to you they say I want to do almost like a little bit of guided research here's a problem that I'm experiencing inside of my corporation we want to be more socially innovative um, focused and we want to focus on sustainability and they spend a year learning about how to do that and then presumably in the middle of the course they go they they go back to their work and they try to implement some of this stuff and by the end do they end up with a degree as well which then they can use to you know get promoted and stuff like that
2: Uh, yeah definitely That, that i think you summarized it very properly
1: okay i mean that sounds like and this is new this is this whole course is new and this is something that you're spearheading this is part of your passion for social innovation right
2: uh, yeah so right now i've i've taken the responsibility to start this program and, and um, really um you know uh, start this program in in january so that's what i'm i'm looking at right now and it goes back to you know um back to again uh, as you said it's it's really my passion that i'm i'm deeply uh, uh, i i deeply believe that uh, we we need some some sort of uh, change on on wh- whatever it is happening around us and I think uh, this is one way we could, we could um, I, as an individual, I think I could contribute.
1: And are you in the process right now of getting students? Do you have enough students already for your January 19 launch? And, and is this something you'll do after 19 as well?
2: Uh, yeah, so this is actually an MA program. So you actually get a, yeah, so a master's program. Uh, right now, actually, we, we are also actually exploring right now. We are, we are almost there in terms of finalizing this as a dual degree. So a student will also have an option. For example, if they would like to get an MBA uh, in addition to uh, our MA in social innovation and sustainability. So a student can actually, uh, you know, take, for example, nine courses uh, with us. And take seven courses uh, online or in person uh, through this uh, institution in uh, Switzerland. So we are talking with a Swiss uh, uh, school called Sustainability Management School, uh, which uh, we share the same vision and they're running an MBA program. So we are actually collaborating for a dual degree as well. So if students are really interested and they want to get an MBA program, uh, you know, they want to get an MBA degree, uh, plus they want to get a degree uh, in social innovation, uh, this is a perfect mix.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a great idea and a great mixture. I like this concept of a dual degree program. That's really cool.
2: Yeah. So so basically, students get to learn the concepts of, uh, you know, the foundational concepts of sustainability, uh, design for innovation, and all these things from us uh, while they study the traditional management courses like finance, accounting, marketing, uh, uh, HR, and other courses from our partner university in Switzerland.
1: I love it. So one last question for you. You, I heard your last name is really interesting, Casey. Do you want to tell me where it comes from and why it's so cool? <laughs>
2: uh, Casey stands for Katri Chhatri. Uh, it's a it's a long um, um, <laughs> uh, it's a long last name, but it it denotes uh, a certain uh, uh, stage uh, in a, in the Hindu caste system. Um, uh, so, um, I think, you know, my, my grandfather, until my grandfather, he used to write, uh, Patri Chatri, the pool name, but I think my father started writing it as Casey. I don't know why, probably he didn't want to denote where we belong to or, uh, or anything like that. He used to joke around uh, with the last name quite a lot. So, um, so since then, uh, you know, my, my last name has been Casey and it's quite tough, you know, sometimes. Uh, some of the systems that have been designed, uh, they don't take two-digit last name.
1: I I mean, two the same thing.
2: Yeah, so sometimes I had to add additional space in between. Sometimes I put a dot in between. So there is no consistency on what my last name is. Sometimes it is K space C. Sometimes it is K dot C dot. So it's 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 interesting. And I get asked this question uh, quite a lot, especially here. So people are always confused. Actually, I have quite a lot of documents. But people have written my last name as first name and first name as last name. Or sometimes they, they, they'll just leave one, uh, one, uh, one thing blank because they're confused what it is.
1: They just don't know what to do. Okay, look, that's really great. I really appreciate your time doing this today. And I just wanted to say thank you. And hopefully we'll be able to catch up over time, um, particularly as this course gets launched, and try to find out like what the impact has been on those students as well. So thank
0: you again. Yeah, so
2: sure. Much. Yeah, th- thank you, Mike.
0: Well, thanks again to your Casey, and Michael. It was a great insight into how if you're truly solving a problem, you're able to get others to join you on the quest to really make a difference. So, if you made it this far, thank you. We appreciate you listening all the way through. We hope that you've enjoyed our bite-sized format as requested for by other listeners. If you've got any other suggestions or what you would like to hear or what we could do better, please let us know in the comments below. We promise we're reading each one with love. Until next time, you've been listening to the Impact Innovation Podcast by Startup42Media.